This is our last week on this series of Loving Well. I don't know about you, but I have loved the feedback. I've loved the conversation that we've had over this, this topic of Loving Well. And we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you didn't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I've asked Miss Pat if she will come. And she's going to read 1 Corinthians 13 one more time for us. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. But love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mere dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. So when you get down to the end of a series, obviously you can't speak on one topic forever. And so we've been on this topic since really the beginning of the year. And the question is, well, what do you do when a series ends? And believe it or not, in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the following chapter actually tells us what to do. So if you're wondering, what do you do when a series on love comes to an end? Then all you have to do, Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. It's two words, pursue love. After you've gathered up all the information, when you've assessed all that God is saying about what love is and what love isn't, and you ask yourself the question, well, what do I do next? Then Paul says, then pursue love. Now that word pursue, it means to, to follow after, to go after it. It even means to, to chase. It is that you want something so bad that you, you must have it. Now there's possible to pursue some things other than love. Any of you ever gone off on some random pursuits? Yeah, me too. 
This church in Corinthians had gone off on a, on a good pursuit. Some of our pursuits are not bad. They're not bad in and of themselves. This thing that the first Corinthian or the Corinthian church pursued, it wasn't bad. They were pursuing spiritual gifts, the power of God. You'd say, that's not bad, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But what happened is they pursued the spiritual gifts and the power of God at the expense of loving each other. That's where we run into problems. When we pursue something at the expense of love. I heard this and I looked it up. Someone said, have you ever noticed how big the self-help section of the bookstore is? You ever thought about that? Self-help is a big industry these days. All the books are on self-help. How to pursue. How to pursue a career. How to pursue a, a family. How to pursue happiness. How to pursue your love in life, whatever it may, may be. I went ahead and went into Amazon just to see, and I typed in self-help books, and there were 70,000 entries. I'm thinking it would take me and another few lives to read 70,000 books on how to pursue personal self-help. Then the, the person that I was listening to, they said, have you ever noticed the section on how to help others? Have you ever seen that section in the bookstore? Go into the bookstore the next time you have an opportunity. Look at the self-help books and then look at the section on helping others. There's, as far as I know, there's not one. Unless you include that small section where they sell the Bibles. Because as far as I know, the Bible is not just a book about helping ourselves, but how to help others. It's a love that is giving. So when I typed in on Amazon, how to help others book, it was as though Amazon didn't know what I was talking about. I, it produced results that were 30,000. So, uh, so they were half the results of, of how to help yourself. But then I started scrolling down that list, and it was still about helping yourself. And I was like, you know what? Even the computer-generated queries don't understand this thing of helping others. It's like it's foreign to us in, in our culture. And so that's been the point of this series. I hope you got that right. We've been redefining love as we know it. If you've missed these series, you can go on you know, the websites, you can go on podcasts and Facebook, and you can catch up on these. But I have really been trying to redefine love as we know it. To tell you that the kind of love that God is talking about is a, a self-giving kind of love. It's a self-sacrificing kind of love. If you want to know what it looks like every time you think of Jesus on the cross, that's the kind of love I'm talking about. It's the kind of love that gives everything. And as some of you have realized, you're like, ooh, Kevin, that's costly. It'll cost you something, won't it? Y'all with me this morning? That kind of love is going to cost you something. That kind of love is inconvenient, isn't it? It's like as soon as you need to love in that kind of way, that's the day you've had a bad day. And what you really want is someone to love you. And yet those kids come, and just like every other day, they think there's supposed to be a meal on the table. And so this love is costly. It's, it's inconvenient. It's, it's this love that's in the trenches. And I'll say this, it's a love that's supernatural. 
If you're going to love this way, it's a supernatural kind of love. It amazes me that people will pray and they think that healing somebody is a miracle and they've got to trust in God. If somebody's going to get healed, then we need a miracle just like we've seen of little Giselle. I remember when they pulled the, the tubes out, I had the privilege. I, I didn't time it this way. I didn't know, but I went up there and they were pulling the tubes out of that little baby. And I got to be there with the mom and when she started taking her first breaths on her own. And I thought, wow, that's a miracle. She, she was supposed to be in surgery. I thought I was going to pray for this child who was going in to have her face reconstructed and fluid taken off of her brain. And I get there, and instead, they're pulling the tubes out, and she's breathing on her own. And we would look, yeah, we would look at that and say, that requires God. And then we think about love, and we're like, oh, I can do that. No, you can't. Do you hear me? Look at me. No, you can't. You can't love that way. You cannot love in this self-sacrificing, inconvenient, love-in-the-trenches kind of way unless the Spirit of God is in you and comes upon you to do it. So you have got to cry out, God, if I want it, I know where the source comes. It comes from, from you. And so it says to pursue love. So how do I do that? God is... Yeah, if you're just joining with us, I've been working on that with them a little bit. One more time, just to make me proud. First John chapter 4, it says, God is love. Yeah. And it says, by the way, in First John chapter 4, that love comes from God. Yeah. So if I'm going to pursue love, guess what you're going to have to pursue? A person. You've got to pursue God. Because that's where love comes from. He is love. If you want to know how in the world, I want to love this way, but I don't know how. I realize that I don't have it in me. I would say then seek God. Seek God because out of Him flows this kind of love that I'm talking about. Over in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. I read something the other day and it kind of offended me. I don't remember who wrote it, so I can't be offended at any particular person. They weren't writing about me, so I can't take it personally. But they said when churches speak on love, that it's a theological fluff piece. I'm like, you just said a lot of words and I'm offended. A theological fluff piece. That when the church speaks about love, it's a theological fluff piece. I said... Do y'all believe in and worship the same Jesus that I do that gave himself on a cross, was nailed and beaten and cursed and bruised for my transgressions? Because that ain't no theological fluff piece. <laughs> That's the kind of love that this world hasn't seen until Jesus came and, and did that. The kind of love I'm talking about is not a, a theological fluff piece. It's not some kind of warm, fuzzy thing. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, he says, Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. I like that because I is one. <laughs> if you're a woman, read it like this. Act like a woman. You hear that? Y'all like that, don't you? You should like it. Men, it says, act like men. Women, act like women. Be strong. Look at verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. If you're going to love, you got to be strong. you got to be strong. you got to gather strength from a, from a strong place. So I want to make this super practical today. So I've got some application and how I want to make it practical, first of all, is I want to talk to the young people. 
some of our late teens that stand here with us and young adults and those of you who are not married first. Can I, can I talk to you for a moment? You see, what happens is the world tells us that there's this kind of love. And when you start dating, it says that you've you got to find this particular person, right? It's like this needle in a haystack, this Mr. Magic, this Miss Magic, you know, this perfect one for you. And you'll hear things like, I'm looking for the one that completes me. I'm, I'm looking for someone that completes me. And you'll find young people, it's almost like they've got a list. You know, they got physical features that they want in, in the person. You know, tall, dark, handsome, you know, sizes of women. You know, all those kind of things. I'm looking for this particular person. I'm looking for these particular characteristics. Why? Because these are all the things that I want. That ain't love. That is a love that, that is talked about. Here's the, the amazing thing. In English, we only have one word, love. We have the word lust, too, and that a lot of times is passed off as love. But we really only have one word for love. The Greeks had like six or eight words. And so, you know, when you get around that person, those of you who have been dating a long time, don't fall asleep. I'm going to take you back to the day. You remember when you used to date, and Chris is going back. You remember that day when you used to pick up Kathy and your heart would flutter just a little bit? Still does, doesn't it? I know. I'm trying to keep you out of trouble. That's a, that's a kind of love that, they, that the Greeks would talk about. But that was like the lowest level of love. And they knew that that love wouldn't last for long because it's really emotional. It doesn't have much depth and much substance to it. But you see, when people are looking for mates these days, that's what they're going after, that little fluttering in the heart thing. I don't know if those of you remember, but I used to go to India. And way back about 15 years ago, the translator at the time, his name was Spargin. And we still get to talk and the first or second trip there, Spargin came up to me. He said, I'm getting married. He was right outside of Bible school. He's just graduating. And I said, you are? He said, yeah, I'm getting married. He said, I'm marrying Grace. And I said, well, who's Grace? And he pointed her out among the orphans. And he said, there she is right there. And I said, wow. So you're getting married? He said, yeah. He said, you want to know why I'm marrying her? I said, well, sure. Why are you marrying her? He said, because she's an orphan, and she doesn't have anybody. And so I'm going to marry her so I can love her. Now, I was married at the time, and i got to tell you, I was challenged. <laughs> I hope you're challenged by that. Young people, I hope you're challenged by that too. That when you're looking for a mate, what you want to look for is, God, send me somebody that I can pour my entire life into. Send me somebody that I can love the rest of my life. Put me with that person that I can pour myself into them. And you see, then what you do is, as parents, we begin to teach our children at a very early age that the only way they're complete is in Christ Jesus. Amen? That you're complete in Christ. And you don't need some little boy to make you complete. You don't need some little girl to make you complete. You're complete in Christ. That way, when that little boy asks you to do something that you don't want to do, you go, oh no, see, I don't have to do that. Because I know who I am. And I don't have to do that in order to find love. Do you see where I'm going? Do you see how important it is that we clarify love and we clarify it early on with our young people? That way, our boys and our girls, when they're searching for a mate, they go, oh yeah, I don't have to do that because I know who I am. I'm loved. And I'm looking for a person 
that I can love. One more. You move into marriage. And you think, well, the reason I married this person is so they can complete me. And then you all get busy. And what you're doing is the, the, the man is hoping that the wife is going to fulfill his needs. And the wife is expecting the husband to fulfill his needs. And everybody's taken out of that relationship. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Not just talking about, and, and relationships can go through this, by the way, as seasons where you get a little selfish and you start, everybody's pulling on each other. And if you aren't careful, love will diminish because what's happening is everybody's taken and nobody's given. But now imagine a relationship where both people are constantly watching their heart to see if their heart is still for the other person and if they're pouring into them. And I've debated about this, but all of our kids are gone and just our older ones are here. But it even happens. Can I use the word romance for a minute and everybody not blush? You're like, is he going there? Yes, I am. I'm going to go there because I feel like I'm supposed to. We have watched television and we've gotten our impression of what romance looks like. And it is the most selfish thing you'll ever find. It's all about satisfying and gratifying ourselves. Can I tell you that the most beautiful romantic relationship is when a husband and wife tries to outdo each other in loving the other person and meeting their needs. I don't know if you just realized it or not, but I just helped some of y'all's marriage. I dare you. I dare you to go into your relationship and what you're interested in is how can I make my spouse happy? How can I love them? And then you get both of you trying to outdo each other. You will never have to go through marriage counseling. Because it will take care of itself. Let's take it into the employment realm. Can you imagine in the employment realm when people go to work and they have more on their mind than just drawing a paycheck? Oh, y'all getting quiet. Why are y'all so quiet this morning? You go into, a, into the work environment and the thing that's not on your mind is doing the least amount of work and still getting paid for it. But you go in that work representing the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, I'm going to give the best that I have to the people that are around me. I'm going to give the best that I can to the business that I work for. Imagine that. Imagine working for a place that cared about you. Novel idea, isn't it? There's a guy, Simon Sinek, he writes about business. And he said that we need companies that will sacrifice the bottom line for their people instead of sacrificing their people for the bottom line. Did you get that? A lot of times what happens is companies start looking at their bottom line and when things aren't going well, they start cutting people. You know why? Because people are considered resources. So you just get rid of them if you don't need them. But he said, what would happen if rather than cut people in order to protect the bottom line, you actually gave up the bottom line in order to protect people? He gave the story of a company. The economy turned. They started losing money. Everybody in their field of business started to cut employees. But this businessman said, we're not going to do that. He sent out a letter to everybody that was in the company, and he said, we're all going to take a pay cut, even me. That's novel, isn't it? We're all going to take a pay cut, even me. 
He said, because it would be better for all of us to suffer just a little bit than for some of us to have to suffer a lot. I don't know if that guy's a Christian, but he is speaking the language of love. That we care about people, about friendships. Let's talk about that for a minute. When you look around, are the friends that you have your friends because you think they can take you places? Oh, I'm meddling, right? The, you know, these networking gatherings that you, you get around. Anybody ever been to a network gathering? You know, and, and sort of the premise of the network gatherings, we're going to get around people who can help us, who can help our business, and who can uh, make us go places. And, and so we connect with people. Why? Because we want something from them. Yeah. What if we saw friendship as I'm pouring my life into my friends because I love them? That I'm pouring myself into people because I don't want anything from them. I just want to love them. It even goes down to churches, by the way, is that as we get older, I think we ought to take care of our seniors. We ought to take care of them well. But a lot of times we forget about them when they can't come to church and when they can't serve anymore. And then they have to stay at home and we'll forget them. I'm saying as a church, we got to find a way to keep our eye on them. Because that's what love and well does. It says, I know you can't contribute anymore the way that you used to, but you're still valuable because we still love you. Yeah. When you come to church, my last one, and I'm going to move on. When you come to church, why do you come to church? Do you come to church to, to have love that gives or do you come receiving? Do you come giving or do you come receiving? Or both. Both is a good answer. Could you imagine if me and Dee and the ones who speak, if we just decided, you know what? We're going to quit speaking on Sunday mornings. We're just going to come in and just receive. What would happen to the church? Y'all be like, oh, I'm going home. Oh, they ain't speaking? Oh, I'm going home. And what I am saying is that God, even in His church, is looking for people who their heart is, they want to serve. Guys, you know what it's like in like sports, right? You see these NFL teams and these guys, when, when they go to a team, they expect to play, don't they? You get traded to a team, you expect to play. And there's this phrase that says, Coach, play me or trade me. Fellas, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Put me in the game, let me play. Or trade me. Do you know what? I believe God wants to raise up a group of Christians who have this mindset that they would come to us as leaders and they say, play me or trade me. I got to get in the game. What can I do? Can you imagine that? I believe the strength of this church of Ember has been the number of people who come and they are ready to give and they're ready to serve and they're willing to be generous. That has fueled this ability of Ember to do what it has done. Now imagine this. This room seats 180 people. Imagine if we could get 500 people that live that way. Imagine if we could get 1,000 people that live that way. Imagine if we could turn our community into a group of people that wanted to give themselves in love rather than receive. Mm, my goodness. But some of you are looking at this and saying, pursue love and in everything do love. And you're like, wouldn't that be exhausting? Any of you ever just got exhausted in, in loving? You loved and you loved and it just felt like you'd given all of yourself. And sometimes in the Christian circles, we'll say, I just feel dry. 
You ever gotten that way? It's like you have given and you've given. And I ask myself, what happens in, in a system where everybody is just exhausting themselves? And what I came back to is this thing that fundament, fundamentally changed my life. It was when I encountered the love of God. Can I tell you about that? Any of you ever wait, been awake and you started thinking, you're like, I wonder if I've just made this whole Christian thing up. Anybody ever done that? Y'all are far more religious than me. Sometimes you just have some, you'll wake up and a doubt will just come and it'll just light in, right? And you're like, what, what is all this for? You know, now, okay, now that I've said it happens to me, y'all a little bit more nodding your head, okay? Yeah, you, you wake up these days and you have these doubts. You know what offsets my doubt? When I encounter the love of God, it is the one thing I cannot discount. It is, it is the one thing that I can never discount is that love that He's had for me, those encounters that I've had uh, with God, the, the way that He pours out love and He pours out forgiveness and He pours out mercy. And if you want to know how to live this way, then you have got to get in touch with the source of love who is God Himself. And so I want to ask you today, have you met this God of love? Have you, have you met Him? And is he, the, is he the fountain? I see some of you shaking your head that He's the fountain from where this thing comes from. And so I, I want to commend you for just a moment. I've had this thought, and I'm going to preach a message on this at some point. You know how we tell people how they're supposed to be certain things? That, that they're supposed to hear God and, and that God can move through their life and that they can conquer sin. And we preach all those things, but we never seem to allow anybody to actually grow into that. Does that make sense? I was talking to somebody this past week and they were having some doubts about hearing God. And I, I looked at them and I said, why, why are you doubting hearing God? And they said, well, you know, I can just be so selfish sometimes. And, and I said, are, are you sure you're selfish now or is selfish who you used to be? Oh, can I, maybe I can speak that into some of y'all. Is selfish who you are now or is it who you used to be? And has actually God been transforming your life? And you're actually not nearly as selfish as you used to be. That the grace of God really is changing your life. Do you feel like, well, I, I just always mess up? Any of you just feel like you just keep messing up? Well, let me ask you, do you mess up more today or did you mess up more yesterday? Because when I watch believers who are flowing in this love of God, what I generally find is they are better today than they were yesterday. That the love of God is changing them. That the grace of God is moving them. But somehow we've made it spiritual and we'll even say things like, you know my heart, it's just so corrupt. Now, you can, I just can't trust my heart because it's so corrupt. And I'm like, that's what it was like before Jesus came in. But you see, he said he shed his love abroad in our hearts. We talked about that last week. That the, the love of God has been poured out. Do you know what I think we ought to do? We ought to not try to knock Christians off of this growth process, but we ought to encourage it. So I'm going to tell you what I told this person. I said, do you know what I see in you? I see in you a person that wants 
to follow God. Is there anybody in the room like that? Your heart is you, you want to follow God. You want to do the right things that, that you're trying to, to hear Him speak. And I said, what is happening in your life is you're getting more and more attuned to the will of God. You know what I think you ought to do? I think you ought to trust when you've heard God. I think you ought to trust it. Because I don't think you're supposed to live life always distrusting what God is doing in you. Why is it that we tell people to trust God, and as soon as somebody says, I'm trusting God, we look at them and go, no, you're not. Can't possibly. It's like we set a standard and tell people that they can't ever reach that standard. You know what I'm saying? The love of God will change you. The love of God will turn you into a new creature. That, that over time, not instantly, okay? It can do it instantly. He can. And you'll have these movements. I'm, 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 can, I, can I go here for just a moment? I love, I love revivals. And I love when big things happen at church. I love it when, when people are, are being prayed for and people are laying in the floor and the power of God is on them. I love all those things. But you know what else I've learned to love? I've learned to love mustard seeds. You know about a mustard seed? Tiny little thing. Jesus pointed out a mustard seed, and he said, you know what? The kingdom of God is like this. He said, it's like a mustard seed. And apparently, if you planted that seed in that area in that time, and you just watched, and it took a long time, really. Have you been taking a long time? It's, it's taken me a long time. I've been a, I've been a work in, in progress. I feel like I've been a mustard seed. But Jesus said, hold on, just wait. And if you give that mustard seed enough time, that tree that it forms into, that bush, it'll overtake the entire garden. I've started praying about this. I think revivals are meant to awaken dead people. I think that revivals are meant to burst people on to new things. But I believe the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. I believe your life is like a mustard seed. And God has been changing you, and maybe you haven't even seen the difference. I'm going to say that one more time because it felt good. It, it felt good about you. That the changes that have been taking place because of the love of God have been a little bit slow. Ha has taken a little more time than you thought it might. You looked at these leaps that other people were taking. You thought that's how they always lived. They don't all live that way. Talk to anybody. They'll tell you. God has been patient and God has worked over time. Can I tell you that I believe that you are different than the person that you used to be. And that God is not done with you yet. He who began a good work in you. He will complete it in Christ Jesus. And it is from this place of love. I believe that is what is changing us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to end this message series today. I said, God, how can we honor you today? And in this series, if He is the fountain of love, if that's where love comes from, then I can't think of a better way to celebrate the end of this series than to have communion. And so we're going to have communion today. And I'm going to ask Amy if she'll come. And I want to I say this real fast. Some of you are watching and you don't know what communion is and you may be unfamiliar with it and you're not sure if you can even take it or not. And, and I would say this. The Scripture says that, 
that you examine yourself. And in that examination, what you're examining is, do you, are you at a place where you realize that you have to have Christ? That you can't do it on your own. It's not an examination of have you been perfect and have you dotted every I and crossed every T. Because if we could do that, then He wouldn't have had to shed His blood. So it is, are you depending upon this Jesus to cover the things that are in our lives? And so this thing called communion, these guys are going to help out. And here is what it represents. Jesus was with His last disciples right at that last moment before he is dying on the cross. And he celebrates this meal that they were used to. It was called Passover. It was when the death would pass over any house that had blood of a lamb over the door. Death would pass over. Jesus said, I'm taking this thing called Passover. And now I'm becoming Passover. Jesus said, I am the Passover lamb. I'm getting ready to spill my blood. I'm going to create a new covenant. So when we take this, we're actually celebrating a new covenant. It's not just that death has passed over. Get this. It is that life is coming in. You see, the, the new is better than the old. The old said death would pass over. The new says that life is going to come in. And so I want to speak to anybody in the room right now that if you have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that I want you right now to receive life and love. That what happens is you pass from death to life. It means that this eternal life comes inside of you, this full life. And it's like a mustard seed. And if some of you have not realized the growth of that mustard seed, I want to encourage you not to give up. Can I tell you that? Don't give up. Don't you give up. Some of you may have come back this morning thinking, I'm going to give it one last try. I'm going I'm to throw it in one last time. And I'll tell you, you can't do it on your own. you got to get to the source. The source is Jesus Christ. His body in his blood. That bread, it represents his body. The blood, it, uh, the, the juice, it represents his blood. Food is sustenance. You need it for life. Jesus is sustenance. You need him to live and to love. If you guys will begin to pass out the communion, I'm going to read some scripture over you while we wait and for you to receive this communion. I want to read some scripture beginning in John chapter 15, verse 12. It says this. Listen as you're receiving. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, no longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that fruit would remain so that in my name, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This I command you. That you love one another. And then, in 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to what it says in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. That's how I want to see you. I don't want to see you by the flesh. I want to see you by what the Spirit of God is doing in you. What God is shaping and molding and what He put inside of you. Remember that series on digging for gold, mining for gems? I don't want to see the dirt in your life. I want to see the value of your life the way that Christ does. And then it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 